If it had been Jackie in the tower that morning, he would have woven the apparition of a ghost ship on the surface of the planetoid into an exciting tale for the dinner table, and Dave Perry might have connected the fantasy with the other bizarre events of that first day. But it was Kathy, not the boy, on duty that morning, the token duty of a sentry, whose task was to watch the immensity of space for any sign of human activity and distress, and whose alertness was naturally dimmed by the fact that ELS number 17 was visited by two routine supply and mail ships a year, viewed a landing by the Inspector General even less frequently, and had had only one emergency in more than two years. And Kathy's mind was elsewhere, exploring daydreams of a life which seemed infinitely more desirable because it was so far away. Kathy was in the tower in the morning and at school in the afternoon. She had performed the same ritual through such an endless march of mornings that the circle of vid screens could hold her interest only fitfully. Instead, the silent, empty tower had become a place to escape in dreams. The station was sealed in, accessible to the crust of its small planet only through a system of airlocks leading to the landing pad. The hole was constantly being buried under fresh drifts of the dust which flowed tirelessly over the planetoid surface, in motion as restless as Earth's oceans of water. The tower housed the inner eyes of the station, recording and projecting the images sent from orbiting satellite cameras, which maintained an uninterrupted vigil over the station, its planet, and the vast reaches of space. The sentry's chair floated in the center of the circular tower, high up in the dome, surrounded by a full circle of close-coupled vid-screens. Lights were kept dim for clarity of view, and the watcher could gain an illusion of sitting in space like a kind of god. The chair revolved slowly, so that once in each quarter hour every portion of the continuous circle of screens was in view. Kathy had watched this familiar and still awesome spectacle faithfully, for the first part of her vigil, then she found her thoughts straying. That morning she had seen a blocky, red-haired man running toward her, wearing shorts, thick, brown legs pumping in a tight, muscular rhythm. In the last day or so she had seen him several times, she thought. She wondered why his image remained so sharp, uncomfortably vivid, where others, much more appealing at first glance, quickly faded. He did not so much attract her as he fascinated her. There was a quality of harsh, cruel strength in the way he carried his powerful body, in the square jut of his jaw, in the bite of a wide, blunt-edged mouth, in the stiff, close-cropped hair like rusty wire, in the scowling gaze he directed toward her. Or so it seemed, as if he were really present on the station and not just another artifice. He existed somewhere, of course. They all did. Probably he was an actor, well paid for the filmed record, which had become a psychological prop for many an isolated group on a faraway space station or colony. The fact that he did exist added to the interest aroused in the girl, gave the faint shiver she felt when his eyes appeared to examine her arrogantly, 
a not unpleasant seasoning of excitement. Yet she could not imagine his arms around her, or that cruel mouth pressing against hers. Her face was suddenly warm.